0: All right. Good morning. You may be seated. How's everybody doing today? You good? You happy to be here? You know, what's crazy is, um, you know, sometimes we feel like we're going through the motions, right? Sometimes we feel like, you know, especially from from a ministerial perspective where, you know, I, last night, honestly, I I didn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, my, my son had a coop attack and... And so, you know, you, you, you wake up, and you get the vaporizer going, and then I want to just listen to him all night because I want to make sure he's breathing okay. And, uh, and then by the time I get to sleep, it's, you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock this morning, and I don't usually set an alarm, you know, or, or I don't usually need an alarm. And, uh, and then I wake up, and it's light out, and I'm like, Ugh! and I don't know what time it is, and I start freaking out, and I run here to the church, and I get here just in time, and I'm still waking up, you know, and and, I, and it's two degrees. <laughs> you know, and, and so I'm like going through my notes, and I'm a little on edge, and I'm a little tense, and I'm worrying, you know, like, you know, it, it, do I have this word down? Does, you know, and I stop for a second. I said, wait a second. Man, God's got this. You know? I think sometimes we get so caught up with what our role or our title or our job might be that we forget that God is in control. And so as we were singing, like, it was so crazy to me. I said this to Christina after the first service. I said, I couldn't have picked a better, a, a better set list if I had done it myself according to my sermon. I didn't have any input on in it whatsoever. And it was like they sang my sermon. And, and it was like in that, that God just, just gave me this peace, like... I got you it's not about you <laughs> I love these people more than you do <laughs> praise God so last Sunday as I as I do most days I, I read my daily devotional from uh, it's my utmost for his highest from Oswald Chambers and it was titled intercessory Ex- Ex- excuse me intercessory introspection and it was a reflection on Psalm 139 and Chambers starts out by saying, the great mystical work of the Holy Spirit is in the dim regions of our personality, which we cannot get at. The dim regions of our personality, which we cannot get at, which we cannot reach. The dark places we can't see, you know, those corners of our hearts, we can't, we can't or just don't dare to enter. That's where the Ho- Holy Spirit can do some of his greatest work, amen? Amen. But there's a catch. We have to allow him. It's a cooperative work. So we have to be actively interested and engaged in this exploration and examination of those dim places. And then he goes on and he paraphrases Psalm 139 beautifully. He says, Thou art the God of the early mornings, the God of the late at nights, the God of the mountain peaks and the God of the sea. But my God... My soul has further horizon than those early mornings, deeper darkness than the nights of earth, higher peaks than any mountain peaks and greater depths than any sea in nature. Thou who art the God of all of these, be my God. I cannot reach to the heights or to the depths. There are motives I cannot trace. There are dreams I cannot get at. My God, search me out. Search me out. I think Chambers captures this psalm really well. He expounds on the greatness of God, his providence, his omnipotence, his omniscience. He says, thou who art the God of all of these, be my God. He goes on to say he cannot reach the heights or depths with God, uh, I'm sorry, he cannot reach to the heights or depths without God he cannot track his own moments or or motives or even dream the dreams that God has for him and I think that's important that we understand what that means or what that means for us personally is is I can't even be, begin to know what God has called me to what he's purposed me for without him because I am so limited and finite amen Right? So, without Him, without Him searching our hearts, without inviting Him in to do this work with us, what ends up happening is, is we go as far as our abilities, we go as far as our capabilities, we go far as our talents, but the reality is, is we're, we're only capable of so much. And so, who wants to give God just what we're capable of? Who wants to give the people around us, the church, the ministry, just what we're capable of? Don't we want to give the people, the ministry, and God, the kingdom, and everything? what he has called us to, what he has called us and given us. He reminds us that we must allow God into those dim places, those dark corners, and ask him to illuminate things so we can be the people he's called and created us to be. Hence the title of my sermon. God knows you. Do you? There's a, a, a man named John Maxwell, many of you might have heard of him or read his books on leadership, and there's a quote, and it's, it's always stuck with me, and, and it makes a lot of sense, it's simple, and, and it kind of rhymes, but it's, to grow yourself, you must know yourself, right? The reality is, is unless we come to terms with who we really are at the core of our very being, there is absolutely no way we can grow, right? We get stunted. We have to invite God in. We have to get to those places, to that core, and know ourselves so that way God can begin to heal us. Get us through those. How many people have struggles and strongholds in their lives? How many people have been living this life over and over again saying, i got to get to this. i got to fix this. Why do I keep struggling with that? And just keep pressing on and moving on. But we want freedom well, we got to get beyond the struggle. we got to find out why it happens, what's causing it, what's the root. And then we have to have, have God, ask God to remove that for us. So let's pray before we go any further. Father, we know you're here. We know you're in us. We know you're around us. We know that you're omnipresent. We know that you're omniscient. But Lord, we're asking you in a very personal way this morning To meet us here where we're at. We walk in these doors and and sometimes we put on our best face. But the reality is, is that we have struggles. We have challenges in our lives. We have things that, that got to have a deep, strong hold on our hearts. And so Lord, I'm asking you, God, to free us today. Lord, there are people who are seeking that freedom this morning. There are people who are looking for answers this morning. There are people who want to grow beyond where they are, and they've been stunted or they've plateaued. And so, God, they need you to open their eyes and their hearts so, Father, that they can become the men or the women that you have called them to be. So that is my prayer, that you would do that through this time together in this word in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So in Psalm 139, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to jump around a little bit for the sake of time and I'm sort of going to just kind of work on three points here and section it off. But we're going to read verses 1-6 through 6 and 13-16 first. So if you have your Bible, open to Psalm 139 and that's where we'll start. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have, enclosed, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Let's jump over to verse 13. It says, For you formed me, you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book, were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were not one of them. Before we were even born, born, before we were even formed in our mother's womb, our days were already ordained and appointed, meaning that we will never breathe one more breath than God has ordained for us, and not one less And that should bring us to a place of peace, not anxiety. It should actually alleviate anxieties. Remembering that God is in full control and was long before us and will be long after us. Amen? Amen. So the first point is is that God knows us completely. He knows us completely. Who in your life, I want you to, to ask yourself this question right now. Who in your life knows you better than anyone else on this planet? And I want you to just think about this for a second. I want you to think about this relationship for a second. Because it's probably a really special one. Right? Hopefully we have a person like that in our lives. Someone who knows us even maybe better than we do. I have a couple of those friendships. And it's good. Now ask yourself this, though. If this person who I love and trust that knows more about me than anyone knew every thought that crossed my mind at all times and every little thing that I did in the dark, would I be okay with that? Somebody's sinking down in their seat right now. Would they be okay with that? Think about that. Now hold on to that. God knows us so thoroughly. He knows every awful thought we've ever had, every ugly deed we've ever done, and he still desires to have a relationship with us, regardless of all of that. There's a song that I love by Torrin Wells, and it's fully known but fully loved. And that's really, it sums it up. We are fully known, completely, without anything hidden, and yet loved by God. Nothing we do, think, or say could ever separate us from that love. Nothing. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, I think it's important that we understand that Christianity is not following a set of rules or going through a bunch of religious rituals, is it? It's not. You know, and I think some of us, you know, maybe that's where we came from. You know, some of us maybe grew up in a religion that was more about, you know, image. It was more about attendance or, you know, making sure you checked off a box. But it was cold and dead, and it never brought you to a place of a knowledge or relationship with the living God. Amen? Amen. And so I pray, and that's what we constantly pray and, and we've endeavored to here, is to make sure that you understand that, but also that we bring you closer or deeper into that relationship with Jesus. Because that is what Christianity is about. At its heart, it's this personal relationship with the living God who knows you thoroughly. It's Jesus alone that makes that relationship even possible. Jesus alone. Right? It's not us. It's not your religion. It's not the church you go to. It's not your bumper sticker or your necklace. It's Jesus alone that makes that relationship possible. And that is our bedrock, right? Without his sacrifice and without God's grace that gives us the faith to even believe that, we're at enmity with God according to Scripture. In the flesh, in our carnal nature, we are literally enemies of God. It's hard to see that. It's hard to see that because we don't realize because culture has sort of, you know, serenaded us into this and, and, and led us into this false sense of security or what is right and what is wrong, what is okay, what is acceptable. You know, but at the end of the day, the reality is, is we know the truth, and there's only one. And praise God that we know that. You know, because at the end of the day, if we did this in our minds or if we did this in our carnal nature, in the flesh, what ends up happening is death. That's it. You can be the most upright and and morally right person in the world. But the reality is, is if you're without Christ, you're in trouble. Once we enter into that saving relationship, we are His. Owns us. The word says, You were bought at a price. Amen. The price is the blood of Christ. Yes. What he went through on that cross. That was what was paid for you and I and each and every person in this room right now and every person who is worshiping him this morning or every person out of the seven billion people on this planet right now who call him Savior. They were bought at a price. And the blood of our Savior buys them all and then some. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel. He took on our sin and became that so we, co- so we wouldn't have to and because we couldn't, so we might become his righteousness. And now we're good with God. We're comfortably dead in our sin up until that point, right? Objects of God's wrath, like it says in Ephesians 2, completely blind to what that means. We don't even understand that. It says the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. It says we don't even understand that we're dead. And what can dead men do? I mean, we've all been to cemeteries, right? Have you ever seen any of them crawling out? I mean, maybe in a movie. But the reality is, is dead men can't make decisions for themselves. Dead men cannot make spiritual decisions for themselves. Dead men cannot breathe life into themselves. Only God can do that. And so this is what happens, is this gift of faith through grace is breathed into us, and we come alive. This means that without Jesus, we're actually destined for hell. And we don't talk about that enough, do we? We don't talk about the fact that, you know, I always say, and we all, you'll always hear it, is the good news is only so good because of the bad news. And if we don't know the bad news, if we don't reflect on the bad news, if we don't understand the bad, if there's somebody in this room right now who doesn't really know the bad news or the gravity of that bad news, then how is this good news good? The good news is, is that in Christ, we're no longer destined, as it says in 2 Thessalonians, to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. In Matthew thirteen fifty, 50, it calls hell this fiery furnace. It's that place where there will be eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal torment. That's the bad news. And that's what we have to understand, that it's a very real place. It's a very real thing. You know? But there's this amazing scripture, this amazing verse further on in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. And it's the greatest conjunction in scripture. It says, but God. But God made us alive in Christ Jesus. But God reached into the grave and pulled us out and gave us life and made us alive in Christ Jesus when we were dead in our sins and destined for hell. That is the good news, church. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. And the beautiful thing is not only did He save us, He now wants relationship. See, in these verses that we just read in Psalm 139, David reminds us that there is absolutely nothing, nothing at all, that we can hide from him. Nothing. And that he knows our thoughts. He knows every word before we even speak them, he knows every action before we even do them. David says he's acquainted with all my ways. All my ways. You know, it's funny, we try to turn the God switch on and off, right? Coming to church, we're, we're going to turn the God, sh- the, the God switch on, right? But, but it's like, then we go to work on Monday and we switch it off because, you know, we've got to fit in there. We've got to work, we've got to do this and, you know. But the reality is, is that we're supposed to take him wherever, whenever. Because he's there. Just because you're not paying attention to him doesn't mean he's not paying attention to you. Right? Right? So the point is, is that once you know him, once once the spirit of God lives in you, your job now is to bring that spirit, to bring God to life in your life, to the people you encounter. They should feel his love and see his light because they encountered you this this day. That's our job. See, God is omniscient too. And that means he knows everything. Omniscient. Hebrews 4, verse 13, it says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Every single one of us are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Matthew 10, verse 30 says, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And some of you are going, Well, I don't have that many. That's easy. Some of us do. He knows every single one. And if that's not enough, it says in Psalm 56 that he has taken account of our miseries and put all of our tears in his bottle. I mean, I'm amazed. I don't know how many tears I've cried in my life. Have you thought about how many tears Pastor Brian might have cried in his life? (laughs) That's a big bottle. And, and, And God knows every single one. He hasn't lost count. He collects them. I always say, our tears speak a very special language to God. They're prayers without words. You know, and he knows all of them. He's concerned with our misery. He's concerned with our sorrows. And then it says, he determines the number of stars, and he names them all. Have you ever considered the vastness of the galaxies? Have you ever figured, like, this God who created it all knows all of them. He's hung them in place and named them all. That's our God. And because he knows all, that means there's nowhere we can go to escape him. And so scripture says he'll never leave or forsake us. That brings us to our second point. We cannot escape God, right? So he knows us completely, and now we need to understand that we cannot ex- escape him. And so let's look at verses seven through, uh, yeah, 7 through 12, sorry. It says, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Some translations say hell. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day because darkness and light are alike to you. David says that there is no place in all of creation that we can go to escape God. None. Heaven, hell, life, death, light, dark, he is there, David says. He is there. And once we are his, we are his forever, it says. That's what the word says. And the other thing is is we need to understand is that there is no such thing as a secret mind or a secret me when it comes to God, everything is exposed and naked, as Hebrew says. So, how many people here have tried to run from God? How many people have tried to hide? Brian, you're probably the only one in this room that could run from God. I'm a fast runner. <laughs> yeah, guy runs marathons, and even he can't outrun God. So, don't even bother. <laughs> We run and we hide in our sin thinking that God isn't watching or aware. But as David reminds us, rest assured, he certainly is. I like how he doesn't just use geographical locations here where he writes, even darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as day and darkness and light are alike to you. Because, you know, some of us, we spent a lot of time in the dark, didn't we? Because that's where our running from him led us. The dark. You know, God isn't a detective. He doesn't need to investigate in order to find us, you know, because he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere. Everywhere. In all places at all times. He's, at ho- he's in hospital beds, gravesides, crack houses, bar rooms, and any other location that you can come up with, he is there. You cannot escape him. You may think you are. You may think you can go to a place that God won't go or can't go, and that is crazy because the word of God tells us he is there. And we need to embrace that. We need to find our security in that. That should hold us accountable to some level as well because that's our God. And this brings me to a very interesting point. See, in verse 10, David says, even there, your hand will lead me, even in the darkness, and your right hand will take hold of me. See, let's look at what David's saying, and I speak from personal experience, and I know that many of you here can relate as well. I know a lot of your stories. See, it was when I thought I was hiding in the dark and God wasn't paying attention to me, and that's if I even was a God, where my mind was at at that point, that I can look back now and I can see how his hand was always on me in my life. You ever do that? You ever look back and you end up sitting here on a Sunday or singing a song or you just look at your life and you're like, I tried so hard to avoid God. I tried so hard to run away from God. I tried so hard to live the life I wanted to live and do the things I wanted to do. And yet here I am, God's got me and he was using all of that. And I can look back at at overdoses and I can look back at car accidents and I can look back at all the crazy things I did in my life and I can say, God was rescuing me and he was there with me in those pits and never left my side. As David says, your hand, your right hand took hold of me. My best efforts meant nothing in light of God's will. I think about the story of Joseph. I should be dead. But instead, God took those darkest moments, and he's using it for his good now, for the saving of many lives, as Joseph says in Genesis 50. And he's doing that with a lot of you here as well. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? We think he can't redeem or use certain things. Yeah, right. He is a very good God. You know, it's, it's insane, but we have these educations amongst us that you can't find in any university that equip us for ministry and make us valuable for the kingdom of God because people are lost in the dark, lost in their sin, and they need hope. And God uses us, sinners, saved by grace, to meet them where they're at. The God of all comfort who comforted us in those times so that when people go through various trials of similar kinds, we can comfort them. We can say, my God carried me, and he can carry you too. And that's who our God is, amen? He's often called the hound of heaven. And that's because once we're his, he never lets go. And I embarrass myself in the first service, and I'll do it again. You know, there's this song we sing. Whoa, never let go through the highs and through the low. Terrible, right? I don't care. It's a joyful noise as far as I'm concerned. Because it's truth. We sing these songs because he will never let us go. And that's a beautiful thing because I'm going to tell you this. If it were up to me, I've let go of God a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. I don't know. I've lost count. But he has never let go of me. If we could lose it, if we could mess it up, rest assured we would daily. I mean, think about that for a second. Who's holding who? Are we that arrogant to think that it's our will, our faith that we've concocted or manifested on our own that's holding on to God and keeping us right with him? No. There is prescribed grace in all of our lives. Trials, challenges, strongholds, struggles, and they come in the way of tragedy and loss. They come in the way of of mental health issues and mental illness. They come in the way of depression, anxiety. They come in the way of all these different things according to the individual because we're all unique and God knows us very personally and he knows what needs to be prescribed for each and every one of you. That's how he draws us in. He says, you, you may think that your problem is unhealable. You may think your problem is unsolvable. You may think you've gone too far. You may think that there's no saving you. And there's arrogance in that. Because nothing you or I could do or nothing that happens to us could ever, ever outweigh the power of the cross. Yeah. Who, who do we think we are? That we could minimize the work that Jesus Christ did on our behalf and make it ineffective. He is powerful. Yes. The blood is powerful. Amen. That's who our God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, yes. and worth worshiping. Amen? Yes. Amen. Yes. Praise Him. Nothing can snatch us from His hand, it says. Scripture says we're marked, we're sealed, we're his. And I love what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, I am convinced that nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah, church. Hallelujah. And this leads me to our last point. We know that God is for us. We know he knows us and is with us. But who are we? Who are we? As I started at the top, I, I said, you know, in order to grow yourself, you must know yourself. In order for us to grow closer to God, in order for us to become the men and women he's called and created us to be, then we have to ask ourselves this question like David did. Who am I at the core of my being? What drives me? What are my motives? What's my agenda? We're selfish by nature, aren't we? And I always say, if you want to know how selfish you are, get married. <laughs> because the reality is, is in those intimate, close relationships, you get to see who you're really out for. And the same goes with God in our relationship with him you see what what we need to understand is that a selfless god who loves us unconditionally reached down and saved us and wants this deep loving intimate relationship with us and so our job is to come to know all those flaws so that we can get rid of them allowing god to do that is vital So let's look at how David closes this psalm. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Search me, God. Show me. My, my uncertainty, show me my anxieties, show me the things that I don't put in your hands, the things that are eating away at me and control or distract me. Show me those things, God, and see if there's anything hurtful in me, anything that might harm you or others, anything that doesn't benefit you or others or the kingdom, and then lead me, God. Please lead me, David, saying, in the way of everlasting life. Show me that path. I need it illuminated. See, we need God's help to know ourselves. We have a longing to know and be known, but only within safe limits. We fear being totally exposed. We really do. I'm still working on some stuff. No one needs to know that yet. We'll drag that stuff around with us for our entire lives and wonder why we're not closer to God and others than we are. I always say we lie to ourselves more than we lie to anyone else. And I believe that to be true. And I don't think that those lies are always intentional, per se. But they're a safe hiding place that protect us from being exposed for who we really are. And so it's like a self-preservation thing, you know? And the sad thing about that is that that we allow this fear to steal the life that we were actually created for. Imagine that. Can you imagine on that day standing before God and he says, why didn't you? And you say, because I was scared. I lived in fear. And all the stuff you've accomplished, your bank account, your retirement, your home, your cars, your relationships, all that stuff means nothing in that moment. Because you squandered the most important thing, what God gave you, who you are, and what he created you for. There's an author, and I only use this quote because of how cool his name is. Seriously, his name is Kilroy Oldster. And it's a great quote. He says, self-awareness is one of the preeminent aspects of humankind. If a person fails to know oneself or loses contact with oneself in a tumultuous world of noise and self pleasing diversions, he or she lives like an unconscious android, an unconscious robot. We bury ourselves in the busyness and noisiness of this world, unconscious robots just plugged into what society has told us is good and worthwhile. Swimming with the current, just like dead fish. Allowing culture to tell us what is good, what is worthy, what we ought to believe, what we ought to do, what's acceptable, what's politically correct. And we buy into it. We, we want to you know, stay with the status quo and keep up with the Joneses. We don't want to be an outcast too much. We don't want to rock the, the boat too much. We don't want to upset the apple cart. So what ends up happening is is we compromise and we compromise and we compromise. And before you know it, we're just these unconscious robots wasting precious time, dying slowly and allowing this nothingness to steal our lives and our purpose. C.S. Lewis says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Floating with the current. And when we know ourselves and our callings, and then the one who created us with the specific purposes, then we can start to find clear direction. Amen? Amen? We cannot know ourselves or find ourselves until we know him and his purpose for us. Sure, he made us unique as I already said, but he made us with purpose, not just to be different. We don't live to operate like robots, church. We live in freedom and purpose. You wanna hear some really bad advice? Of course I do. That's why I come to church. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Let's stretch out those T-Rex arms. How many people have given or taken that advice or heard that advice? Follow your heart. Well, I'm here to burst your bubble. I'm going to read you a a portion of scripture from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. And it says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. More deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? But go follow it. So my advice to you is, therefore... Don't follow your heart. My advice to you is, follow the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent one who created it. In that, you'll delight yourself in him. His heart will become your heart. You'll receive a heart transplant. The word says that he'll make your heart a stone into a heart of flesh. Right, his desires become your desires. You know, I think sometimes when we read Psalm thirty-seven, we think, you know, delight your way, delight yourself in the Lord, and He's going to give you the desires of your heart. And we hear that as like, yes, ah. But that's not how it works. You know, when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you enter into that relationship with Him, and He becomes. You're all in all. That intimacy, that closeness with him begins to change your heart. You begin to grow and transform. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We don't see things the same. We don't think things the same. We don't say things the the same. We start becoming a lot more like Jesus than ourselves. And that's a good thing. We start to understand what humility is and meekness. We understand what love means on a deeper level. It's not about me, it's about them. We understand what selflessness means. We understand what it means to give ourselves and lay down our lives. It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I get. And so therefore, the desires of your heart change. And those desires become his desires. And you start to do things that align with his will for your life. That's what Psalm 37 is all about. We can't even fully know our own motives and what truly drives us apart from God revealing it to us through his spirit and his word. So search our hearts, oh God. Search our hearts. I'm gonna ask the prayer and worship teams to come up. And I just want you to kind of do some introspective right now. You know, we don't come here for nothing, right? Come here because we want to, because we need to, because we're called to, and it's important. It's where we get fed. It's where we get that oxygen-rich blood that pumps through our bodies, makes our hearts right. And so... Right now is the best time while we're here together to allow God to start searching our hearts. That's what needs to happen. Could you turn off the light if you don't mind? I'm inviting you up to spend some time with God and to allow him to work in those dark and dim places we talked about. So he already knows all your hurts. He already knows all your hang-ups. He already knows all your struggles. And he he knows every sin. Nothing new under the sun. He knows it all. And we can't hide from him, church. So here we are. And when I say this, I mean it metaphorically. Standing naked before God. So if you'd like you can start making your way forward and allow us to pray for you and the worship team to minister to you in song one more time. And I'm going to ask you to just allow God into those places. Allow God to really search your heart. These altars are open. There's folks on the side who want to pray over you or with you. If you'd like to just approach them, you can do that. But today, church, is the day of freedom for you. Today is the day of salvation for some of you. Today is the day we can lay it all down at his feet and we can leave here lighter. We can leave here freer. And we can allow him to transform our hearts and change who we are from the inside out. Because that has to happen if we're going to honor him and live for him. Amen? So why don't we all stand? And I'm going to urge you not to leave this place until you find breakthrough and freedom today. There are strongholds in your lives. There is sin present in your lives. There are struggles, there are hurts and there are hang-ups that need to be surrendered here and now at the foot of the cross. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So come find your rest in him, church. Allow him to search your heart. Let's worship him.